Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our downtown Baltimore two-bedroom apartment, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you as always. Thank you so much for tuning in in an apartment that has been racked by the sounds and shakings of falling ice for most of the morning. Yeah, if you see us like jump in fear... It is because outside there have been icicles falling down about every two seconds. And it, it you would think by now we would be used to it and it wouldn't startle us. It does. Well, let's set the scene here. We have a large terrace and above Weird that. Weird flex. Yeah. Oh, huge flex. It, this thing is actually unnaturally large. We could have entire... I mean, we could put a hoop out. There goes another one. There goes the ice. There goes the ice. Wow. So the ice is falling from the a height. The ice is a paid actor. It knew that we were going to talk about that. <laughs> the ice is falling from a height that uh, makes the crash onto our terrace quite loud and quite startling. So there's still more ice. I checked this morning, Brendan. We have a long way to go here. Yeah, it, it's going to be a long and terrifying day. <laughs> of just, we will live in constant fear of yes. that ice falling down. And uh, you won't hear it, but you'll see us jump um, like frightened people. And you'll be able to make fun of us. Uh, we have plenty to talk about here on this podcast. We're going to talk about, first and foremost, the Alex Cobb deal, which, of course, went down or has not officially gone down, was reported yesterday, what that could mean for the Orioles in the future. And then we have not yet talked about the Freddie Galvis signing, so we have to touch on that, too, at some point. Um, but first, I do uh, want to acknowledge something, Brendan, and that is, of course, the uh, passing of our dear friend, our colleague, um, and our coworker, uh, Mel Antonin over the weekend. Um, Mel was, I, I know Brendan, you didn't have a chance to meet him during your time at Masson. Um, I've really only been with Masson since 2016, um, when I joined as an intern. Um, but Mel from day one was incredibly friendly, incredibly nice, treated me as an equal when I was an intern. And I think that's rare to find, in this business anywhere, and somebody who I realized immediately I could uh, have a conversation with. Uh, he's a great listener, a phenomenal reporter with USA Today for so many years, uh, and then we were lucky enough to have him, of course, on both MassInSports.com and the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, which many of you watched Mondays through Fridays. He was a, a constant um, in this area um, for many years, and he was... If you read anything that he had done, you knew what a phenomenal reporter he was, um, what a hard worker he was. And if I may share just a couple quick stories, um, I one of my first interactions with Mel was back during the winter meetings because that was his Super Bowl. He knew so many people, had cultivated so many contacts uh, in the business and friends in the business that walking around with Mel at the winter meetings was like walking around with a celebrity. And um, I just remember, you know, it was our first year of winter meetings with Mass and All Access. So it was 2017, first time we were there as a Mass and All Access crew. We had a kind of 
I don't want to say a rinky-dink setup, but it was not exactly. We were next to Yes Network, and we were here with this blue banner, and we just didn't quite know what we were doing. Um, and I just remember, and Mel, of course, was a fixture at winter meetings, and I just remember him bringing over, uh, he just comes up to me and, and says, uh, I have uh, Joe Torrey here. Do, do you mind if we just sit down and do a quick interview? And I said, Joe Torrey? <laughs> and so we set up a quick interview. I'm like scrambling. And Joe Torrey sat down and did a five-minute interview with Mel with our Mass and All Access blue background and and on kind of our rinky-dink set. Um, and we ran that on our Mass and All Access show. A legend of the game and Hall of Famer Joe Torrey um, because Mel had built up such a friendship and a relationship with one of the greats of the game. And, and um, that was just kind of who he was and, and was beloved around... Um, the baseball world, what an outpouring of support. It, it was amazing to see on social media um, when the news came out of his passing, just the reaction from all corners of the baseball world. So many people, so many companies, so many uh, reporters and players that I didn't even know had any connections to Mel. Uh, I thought he was kind of our little secret, and I had no idea that he had built such a long career and such an incredible career uh, of reaching so many people. And, um, you know, we were just lucky enough to be some of the people uh, that he reached. And uh, what what a, a, an upsetting weekend, a sad weekend. Um, but I know Mel, of, of course, battled right up until the end. Uh, difficult year for, for his family. And um, he will absolutely be missed by our Masson family. Yeah, from from everything I've heard about Mel, I wish that I had gotten to to meet him and interact with him. He sounded like not only a person that you would be really lucky to work with in baseball, but a, a friend that you would be really lucky to have in baseball. And I know the Masson family is going to miss him very much. Absolutely. Um, did an interview with him right in October. One more quick thing. And, um, you know, right before um, he finished his time really with Masson and uh, he... It was the first time I talked to him since he was undergoing all these health issues. And the whole time he was just asking, how are you guys doing? What's Mass and All Access like now? Where are you guys set up? And I was trying to turn the conversation back to him and say, no, we want to know about you. We want to know how you're feeling and how you're doing. Uh, because he went through such a difficult year um, and was such, such uh, a battler in, in uh, a, a tough time. So absolutely, uh, Mel will be missed. And I know I speak for a lot of... Um, readers, a lot of followers of Mel when I say that as well. Um, okay, let's talk about some baseball here, yeah. Brendan. Let's get started with the Alex Cobb conversation because that was the big news yesterday. As of the time of this recording, the deal has not been finalized. You might be listening to this now when it has been because there are significant hurdles, I, I want to say, but not really. It sounds like the deal is going to get done. It sounds like they are going to hop over these hurdles, but... Salary is a big issue here because MLB has to approve everything that goes through. Um, but let's talk about the basics of this deal and what we have heard reported, Brendan. Yeah, so Alex Cobb goes to the Angels. And in return, uh, I would preface this by saying that Mike Elias, do not miss. Um, he gets Jemai Jones in return, who is the Angels' seventh-ranked prospect. And he is a second base center field hybrid, but I would imagine that he is going to play second base for the Orioles. He spent most of his time at second base 
uh, in the Angels system. He played in Double A in 2019 when there was most recently a minor league season, but he must have really impressed at their summer alternate site because he made his major league debut last year, only had seven at-bats, but hey, got three hits in those seven at-bats. My initial reaction is that this is an incredible trade for the Orioles because not only do you get rid of some of Alex Cobb's contract, he was owed $15 million this year, but you get not only a great infield prospect in Jemai Jones, you get the best second base prospect in your system, in Jemai Jones, in return for Alex Cobb. What, this is a huge win for the <laughs> Orioles. This is, yeah. this is a huge win. This is, um, let, let's talk about it. I, I want, do want to talk about Jemai Jones and what he brings to the Orioles and, yeah. and where he could fit in the long-term infield picture overall. But let's first talk about it from the Alex Cobb side of things because you and I on this podcast before have talked about the fact that Alex Cobb was a guy that I think Michael Elias was wanting to trade this whole time, pretty much since he took the job. But the contract made it incredibly difficult for him to get dealt. He was, lest we forget, it is the biggest contract the Orioles have ever handed out to a free agent pitcher, which is crazy to say, but when you consider how much salaries have inflated over the past two decades and the fact that right. the Orioles have not had a whole lot of great starting pitchers in Baltimore, it makes sense. Four years, $57 million. They signed him back basically during, during spring training uh, three years ago when they signed Andrew Kashner and Alex Cobb. They had two massive holes in their rotation at the time. They were trying to get a deal done with Lance Lynn. They eventually have to settle for Alex Cobb. And at the time, it was viewed as an okay price point because the market had kind of fallen out from under a lot of free agents that winter. But in retrospect, Brendan, that four-year, $57 million contract turned out to be an albatross. It was very bad. (laughs) I will say that. It was not a good contract. And especially when you look back at Alex Cobb's career, when the Orioles were signing him, he had had a decent season in 2017, but he really hadn't performed as a number two, number three pitcher since 2013, somewhere around there. So Alex Cobb comes to the Orioles, doesn't win a single game at Camden Yards, goes seven and 22 overall with an ERA over five and a whip over 1.4. Yeah. I've seen people say, well, win loss record, Obviously, he was probably victim to some bad luck. And keep in mind, his first year in Baltimore was the year that they lost 115 games. Right. So he was not the symptom of that, but he definitely did not perform up to the level. Well, sure. And if you're on the train of wins and losses aren't a pitching stat, uh, may I offer you you the 5-1 ERA, the 1.419 whip, the 10.2 hits per nine, and the 6.1 strikeouts per nine as other factors that you could look at in terms of how Alex Cobb did with the Orioles, which was not very good. Uh, He made 41 starts over his three-year stint with the Orioles, and the Orioles paid him $42 million. So quick maths tells me that that is over $1 million per start for a pitcher with an ERA over five. Yeah, and not to disparage Alex Cobb personally, he's a great guy, very easy to talk to, very down-to-earth, leader leader in the clubhouse from what we heard, but he just was not good enough. Was, right. was expected to be, he, he came in with a career ERA, I think around 3.66, signed with the Orioles for that deal, and the only question really was can he stay healthy because he had been through so many injuries during his time with Tampa Bay 
And unfortunately, not only did he not stay healthy, but when he was healthy, he was not very productive. Made just three starts during the 2019 season, was eventually shut down. And then the Orioles essentially cashing in on 10 complete starts in 2020. I didn't think he was going to make 10 starts in 2020, uh, but he made every one. Not a great year. 4-3-0 ERA. Uh, fine strikeout-to-walk ratio. Brendan, I don't know what the Angels saw in him. I, I'm sorry. I mean, it, there are still free agents out there on the market, and the Angels gave up one of the top 10 prospects in their system for a guy that not only has struggled with health, not only has owed a lot of money, but also is not that productive when he's healthy. Well, look, if you're the Angels... You are gambling that Alex Cobb is going to be able to turn back the clock and he's going to pitch like he did in Tampa Bay when he had an ERA of about 3.5. That was four years ago. That was a long time ago. And we don't know the exact, like, how much money the Orioles are going to pay yeah. in this deal. What we have heard reported is he is due $15 million, Right. I think 10.5 of which is actually due in 2021 and then the rest the 4.5 remaining is deferred. And I saw a report, I think, from Jim Bowden saying that the Orioles will pick up most of the money on that deal. So, But if, <laughs> if you're the Angels and you are paying more than $3 million on this $15 million, which we are presuming that they will, we are not assuming that most means like 12 out of the $15 million. We are assuming that they are going to pay a little bit more than that. Alex Cobb in my opinion at least, and I think you would share this assessment, Paul, is really not worth that gamble. No. Because it's not like you're looking at Alex Cobb and saying, okay, if he can repeat a performance like he had two years ago, if he had the the year he had two years ago, then we will be good with Alex Cobb. He can be a solid number three pitcher in our rotation. If you are taking a chance on Alex Cobb, you are hoping that he turns back the clock seven years. (laughs) That is a long time to turn back the clock on Alex Cobb. And not only are you gambling on him, you give up a really promising prospect in Jemai Jones. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about Jemai Jones real quick. Let's do it. Before we get into the, um, the rotation, because there are still some kind of lingering questions after the Alex Cobb deal. Sure. We still think it was a great deal, but it does leave a pretty big hole in that rotation for the O's in 2021. Jemai Jones, you kind of touched on his credentials coming into this. He was a top 100 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline and Baseball America, pretty much a fixture in that top 100 list from 2017 to 2019. Did not quite hit in 2019 at the AA level. He is viewed not as having great power, more for his athleticism. He was an outfielder that was converted uh, to second base, and that's pretty much where he played the bulk of his games. Uh, in 2019, but keep in mind here, he is 23 years old. In that season that he did play in Double A in 2019, where he put up a 234 batting average, at OPS under 700, not his best stats. He was still only 21 years old. He was the third youngest player on that roster. Uh, he was hitting very well near the end of the season. Hit over 300 for the final two months of the season, um, and. Honestly, like you said, Brendan, performed well enough in 2020 to get the call up to the bigs. So 
I think that 2019 season could be a little bit concerning, and certainly his star has faded a little bit in terms of being a top, top prospect. He was once the number one prospect in the Angels system and is now just the seventh best prospect in that Angels system. But still, I would say 23 years old, already got a taste of the big leagues, still very athletic, a position that the Orioles do not have a whole lot of depth in terms of their minor league system, well worth the gamble to get Jemai Jones. Paul, I'm going to throw out a hot take. Would you like to hear my hot take? Give it to me. I think that this is the single best trade of the Michael Elias era. And why would you say that? You would have to pay Alex Cobb this year if you did not trade him, obviously. Michael Elias didn't wait around and see if there was a team that would be willing to take on all of the $15 million remaining on Alex Cobb's contract. And we don't know exactly how much the Orioles are paying. But even if it is $10 million, the money that you are spending still on Alex Cobb is worth getting Jemai Jones. This is not some back end of the top 30 prospect. Jemai Jones is the seventh best prospect in the Angels system, a top heavy system that included guys like Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. He is the best second base prospect that you have in the system. He's a way ahead of a guy like Ryland Bannon. He's closer to somebody like Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg in that prospect ranking. And he is MLB ready. Jemai Jones could potentially be your opening day second baseman for the Baltimore Orioles. He is 23 years old, and you just got him for Alex Cobb. I think this is the best trade of the Michael Elias era. When you say that, I think I was thinking of some of the other deals that he's done. He doesn't have a whole lot. Michael Elias doesn't have a whole lot of big trades under his belt, particularly because he took over this rebuild at a time when most of the big trade pieces, the scopes, the Britons, the Machados had already been dealt away. So it's not like he had a, a, a huge pool of veterans to deal from at this point. I think back to, I think the the Andrew Kashner trade was a pretty solid one. Granted, the, the return was somewhat minimal compared to some of the other moves that have been made. I think of the Tommy Malone as a trade as a great one. Well, that's a great trade, yes, but... Yes, you get two prospects for Tommy Malone and AJ Graffinino was And you gave and, and and Tommy Malone you gave a minor league deal to sure. in spring trade. Which is a great trade because AJ to get any prospects yes. for Let Tommy alone Malone two, one that fits into your top thirty is kind of hilarious. Yes. But no offense to AJ Graffinino, he's probably the fifth or sixth best shortstop prospect that the Orioles have in their system. They're pretty top heavy with guys like Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. Yeah. AJ Graffinino has an uphill battle to get to the major leagues. Jemai Jones is the single best second base prospect that the Orioles have, and it's not particularly close because Adam Hall isn't quite ready for the majors yet. We don't know how he's going to continue to progress. Yeah, he's still pretty young. And he's kind of a hybrid second base shortstop guy. And Ryland Bannon, we don't really know if he's going to play second base or third base. And Bannon isn't towards the top of the prospect list. He has a chance to start for the Orioles over the next few years. But I think long term, ideally, he's probably more of a utility guy because he doesn't do anything super, super well. He's just a pretty solid infielder. Somebody commenting also as we're live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, Andrew Cox saying, Givens trade was solid. Givens trade in which they got Taryn Vavra in that deal. Yeah, but Jones will probably rank higher than Vavra. Probably. Taryn Vavra immediately slotted into their top 15. I think he's right around 12, 13 maybe. I think he's 13. I think Kevin Smith is 12. That's right. MLB Pipeline is coming out with their new top 30 for each team soon because they just came out with the top 100. So we'll see exactly where everybody shakes out. And we won't know where 
uh, he would slot in. We don't know where Jemai Jones would slot in anyway until this deal is completed. Um, but, I mean, Givens, they also got a couple other prospects. But I think Givens was, Givens was also bad in 2020 in the second half for the Colorado Rockies. But he still has another year under contract, and I think he's probably going to perform better than over the course of this final year than Alex Cobb will over the course of his oh, final year of this contract. Absolutely. And if you're the Angels, again, not to harp on the Angels too much, but I don't know what they are thinking I, with this deal. Yeah. Good thing with this is not an Angels podcast. That's yeah. all I'll say for numerous reasons Whew. today. Uh, but also, Good day to not have an Angels podcast. Good day to not have a Rockies podcast. Yes. <laughs> But also, um, I think it is important from the Orioles' perspective to note that they would not have gotten a prospect this highly rated if they were not willing to eat a significant amount of money. Yes, this is, this is not a cheap move no. by any means. They are paying for a top prospect, essentially, here. And when we talked about this deal potentially getting done earlier on in the offseason— you predicted, you had a great prediction of getting, you said that they were, we both this predicted close. they were going to go, he was going to go to the Angels. Yeah. We both saw this deal getting done with the Angels, which I don't know what is going on between the Angels and the Orioles front offices, but they appear to be best buds. Look, if the Angels keep, if they just want to keep giving the Orioles prospects, we're not going to say no. I mean, this is turning into the uh, LA Orioles at this point yeah. between Jose Iglesias, uh, Dylan Bundy, and, and now Alex Scott. So, you know, if there's anybody else, if the Angels want to get Mark Trumbo back, you know, they can, <laughs> uh, they can certainly do that. Um, but essentially, I did not expect the Orioles to get back as highly rated a prospect as they did. Agreed. I thought that they were going to get a lower level prospect for Alex Cobb because I assumed that they were not going to be willing to spend all that money to get him off their hands. The fact that they are covering reportedly most of his contract for the 2021 season allowed them to get a prospect as highly rated as Jemai Jones because that deal would not have gotten done if they had just taken three, four million dollars off the fifteen million dollars due to Alex Cobb. The fact that they are taking more than half of the fifteen million dollars due to Alex Cobb allows them to get a highly rated prospect. And personally I would rather have <laughs> I mean it's not my money, but I would rather <laughs> spend that money uh to get him off your hands and to get a highly rated prospect. And another thing is if they had waited on Alex Cobb, if they had decided, let's go into the season with Alex Cobb in our rotation, they would still have to pay him a significant amount of money because the, the payments are due, of course, over the course of the season. So if they waited until the July 31st trade deadline to deal Alex Cobb, one, you're probably getting less of a return because he's going to make fewer starts for the team that acquires him. And two, you're still going to have to pay almost half of his $15 million anyway because you're still going to be have to paying him game checks as the season goes along. So what Michael Elias did is say, all right, the team that acquires him in the Angels, they want to get him for the full season, and we can leverage that by offering more than half of his contract for the t upcoming season. And because we're doing them that favor, let's get a highly rated prospect. Let's not shoot for a, a, a lower 20s, 30s level prospect. Let's shoot for a top 10 prospect. And it, it shows that they're... You know, as much as the Orioles have gotten decried over the last couple of weeks for stuff, um, it shows that Mike Elias and this front office is still willing to play for premier talent in their pipeline. Yeah, that's the important thing to note. Mike Elias could have waited around for a pitching desperate team 
somewhere near the deadline and said, hey, you can pay all of Alex Cobb's contract if you want. We'll trade him to you, but you would have gotten a worse prospect in return. This is the more expensive route for the Orioles, but you get a much better player in return. And we're getting some Facebook comments saying that you're kind of frustrated talking about prospects, 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 and trading these major league level players. Jemai Jones is a major league ready player. I don't know if he's going to start the season on the opening day roster. It's possible that the Orioles might want to get some time to look at him a little bit, maybe put him in AAA for a few weeks. But he was at least good enough with the Angels and impressed at their alternate site that he was good enough to make his major league debut last year. So yes, we are talking about prospects, but we are talking about high-level prospects that are going to be high-impact major league players in a year or two. And I know it's frustrating to keep bringing up these prospects because it almost seems like a cycle that we've been talking about for a while, but it's not going to be a cycle that lasts forever. These prospects are coming up soon, and Jemai Jones is an example of one that could be pretty much here. What do you think in terms of his arrival date in Baltimore? Do you think he breaks spring training, breaks camp with the club? Do you think he is on their opening day roster? Do you think he's their opening day second baseman? Look, I think he has a really solid chance to be the opening day second baseman. I think there will probably be a spring training battle between him and maybe Rio Ruiz would be my guess because I think it not kind for of comes, the same position, not for the same position, but I think that might come down to who would you rather start? Would you rather start Jemai Jones at second base and move Yolmer Sanchez over to third? Or would you rather start Rio Ruiz at third base and move Yolmer Sanchez over to second? I think Sanchez starts somewhere. And I think either Jones or Rio Ruiz starts at either second or third. If I had to put my money on one of them, I would say Jones because Rio Ruiz has had his chance to prove himself at third base over the last few seasons and really hasn't done so. Yeah, I think ideally... Ideally, Jemai Jones is your starting second baseman. I just don't know if he's quite ready yet. I mean, yeah. making his debut, a lot of guys, historic number of guys made their big league debuts in 2020, and he did perform fine in those seven games. Very, very small sample size and with also, seven at-bats. And also different, different system, different coaching staff, uh, different front office that decided he was ready. Maybe Mike Elias, Brandon Hyde decide he's not ready you know, when they get their hands on him and they, they take a look at him in spring training. So um, I think that ideally he is your opening day second baseman, but I think regardless, assuming he's healthy, I think he will be in that second base spot earlier rather than later. Yes. I, I could see him within the first couple months taking hold of that spot. And Rio Ruiz, we, we've seen what he can bring to the table. We know what he can bring to the table. Um, and it is a passable defense at third base and a below average left-handed bat. So to me, I think ideally you move Yomar Sanchez over to third. You have Jemai Jones as your starting second baseman. I think I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if the Orioles start Jones at the AAA level, purely because yeah. when you first trade for a guy, you want your coaches to be able to spend some time with him and you want to be able to make sure that he's really ready for the majors. You want to do your own homework. Right, You don't want to rely on the Angels' homework in terms of how his development is going. Never copy homework. Don't do it. Don't plagiarize, kids. But I think if Jones starts the year in AAA, I think there's a pretty good chance he gets called up even within weeks because he is clearly close to, if not already, Major League ready. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, from the Orioles' side of things, let's talk about the rotation side of things. Yeah. Because... It does leave a pretty big hole in that rotation. Um, 
Let's talk about what we think the rotation will look like to start the season. Michael Elias has said they still have some work to do this offseason in terms of acquiring talent, and in particular pitchers. I think that they are going to sign somebody, maybe to the if they do sign a major league player uh, to a major league deal in terms of their rotation, it's not going to be for very much money. It's probably going to be $1.5, maybe $2 million max. Look for somebody in the Wade LeBlanc kind of mold of a, a major league deal. They could also go with a minor league deal uh, to add talent to that rotation because if they go into the season with this current rotation, things could be kind of bumpy, a little shaky. There's three pitchers that are solidly in the rotation already, and we knew that going into the season, being John Means, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken. Those are your top three pitchers. After that, it gets a little murky. We have right now Bruce Zimmerman and Thomas Eshelman in the last two starting spots. I think Jorge Lopez has a chance to fight for one of those spots. So this is kind of option A, is the Orioles don't sign a veteran free agent to fill up one of those spots, and you kind of figure it out with the last two spots in the rotation. I think option B is that you go out and sign a free agent pitcher. Like you said, a few names that I that I thought of, uh, Jordan Zimmerman, Anibal Sanchez, Julio Tehran, Ivan Nova, you could probably get for like around a million for a one-year deal. And I, I feel a little bad. We are kind of going after Alex Cobb a little bit, but it probably isn't going to cost you that much money to replace Alex Cobb's production. I mean, it's not terribly difficult to find a veteran free agent pitcher who can give you a ERA over five. Yeah. And that, that's not terribly difficult. So you can find somebody in free agency for not a lot of money because what would be the point of signing somebody to a lot of money with so many prospects coming up that will give you, you know, an, even an ERA around four. That's fine. And if the Orioles did not make, if they do not make any additions to their starting rotation by opening day, John Means would be the oldest member of that rotation at 27 years old Whew. and also the most experienced member of that rotation with just 42 appearances oh. in his career at oh, the big boy. league level. Uh, 37 career starts. That is if they don't make any additions. Um, I do think they will make an addition. I like some of the names you threw out there, Brendan. Um, I do think they could also just go for two or three guys on a minor league deal and, and yep. minor league deals rather and let them battle it out. I.e. Tommy Malone. I.e. Tommy Malone. Because here's what's going to happen. By, by mid-season, this rotation, and by the end of the season, will look very different. Yes. I think you are going to see, over the course of the 2021 season, the debuts of Michael Bauman, of Zach Lowther, and of Alexander Wells. And maybe even of Kevin Smith. Four of your top pitching prospects, I think, could very well debut or on track to debut during the 2021 season. And all four of them, for the time being, are on track to be starters. So by season's end, you could be looking at a starting rotation of John Means, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, Zach Lowther, Michael Bauman. Yeah. And with Alexander Wells, you know, floating as a swingman or something like that. Option C is that you call up somebody like Zach Lowther or Michael Bauman to join the rotation earlier on in the season. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Orioles would probably rather sign a veteran pitcher because we know that the Orioles general management has not 
wanted to rush their prospects. Yeah. That's the last thing you want to do is have a promising pitching prospect and ruin his confidence by putting him in the majors too early, getting rocked, and then you know he's kind of broken for the for the few years. His confidence has been broken for the few years going forward. We're getting some comments on Facebook uh, asking, is Dean Kramer a frontline starter? I think he is. When you look at that end of a the year ER, ERA, as in, can he be a number two, number three, rather than a number four, number I think, five? I think at this point, a two would be a stretch. I think a two would be a stretch, but I think Kramer can be a solid three going forward, especially when you look at Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall both having the potential to be ones and twos. Yeah. Dean Kramer, I think, will be a solid three going forward. The end of the year ERA was really inflated by that one bad start in Boston, but before that, he was lights out. He was pitching really, really well, especially as a rookie. So I think Dean Kramer will be a solid number three going forward. Uh, another comment on Facebook uh, asking, will we see Grayson Rodriguez this year? I don't think so. Highly doubt it. Very, very end of the year call up. Highly doubt it. Just because he played his entire 2019 season uh, with Delmarva. So he was, yeah, Delmarva, right? Feels like years ago. Yeah. Um, on that terrific Delmar- Delmarva Shorebird stats, uh, staff. So he would still be several kind of ticks away. I think we will see him at Bowie in the 2021 season, um, but I do not think he will make his big league debut. I think D.L. Hall, who pitched with high A Frederick in 2019, is probably closer to the bigs, but I don't think either of them makes their debut in 2021. I would agree. I think Grayson Rodriguez is probably two years away from his major league debut. But again, like we were kind of saying with Michael Bauman and Zach Lowther and why they might not be on the opening day roster, you don't want to rush the prospects. Yeah. Daniel, That's the last thing you want to do. Daniel Lee comment on Facebook also saying, don't forget about Kyle Bradish and Cody Sedlock too. Yep. Couple, couple more names. I, I was even, I was trying to put together this rotation for 2021 and I found myself forgetting about the rule five guys yeah. and Max Roller and... What's the other name? Tyler Wells? Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells, yeah. I believe. Uh, See, we are that is literally forgetting It has been a busy offseason yeah. for Mike Elias. Yeah. Uh, going all the way back to, remember back when he picked up Jose Iglesias' option, then he traded Jose Iglesias, <laughs> yeah. then he DFA'd Renato Nunez to add the six guys to their 40-man roster, then he, uh, what else am I forgetting? Then, of course, he traded Alex Cobb. In the meantime, he signed Freddie Galvis. Just a busy, a busy offseason, I think you could say. Very. For Michael Elias. Yeah. Let's talk about Freddie Galvis now. Let's do it. Because we have not yet talked on the podcast about. Yeah, Freddie Galvis was a a good signing, and it almost seems brushed out of the way because of all the things that have been going on. Yeah, Freddie Galvis to a one year deal, I think, in terms of market value, I think he compares very favorably to Jose Iglesias when the Orioles signed him after the 2019 season. And they got Jose Iglesias on a $3 million deal with a team option for the 2021 season for $3.5 million. So essentially they were guaranteeing him $3 million and potentially giving him an extra $3.5 million. Freddie Galvis, one year, I believe $1.5 million was the reported terms of that deal. And a guy who stacks up very well to what Jose Iglesias brought was going to bring to the Orioles in 2020 um, when they signed him. That being said, I do think it's a little unfair to expect a Jose Iglesias 2020 out of Freddie Galvis in 2021. Well, Jose Iglesias isn't giving you a Jose Iglesias 2020. 
Jose Iglesias, we've talked about it yeah, he so many well times on this podcast, really, really, really overperformed last year, and Mike Elias traded him at peak value. Jose Iglesias is not a... What did he hit? 380 or something like 377. that? 377. 377. Jose Iglesias is not a 377 hitter. He is not an OPS close to one hitter. Jose Iglesias will probably give you pretty similar numbers to Freddie Galvis. And I know that Freddie Galvis had a down 2020, but in 2019, he hit 23 home runs, which is way more power than you would have been getting out of Jose Iglesias. Yeah. Corey, Corey on Facebook, real quick, not to cut you off there, yeah. uh, saying it would be amazing if we could get Calvis to be just like Iglesias, where below average hitter over his career, silver slugger worthy season. That would be amazing. Well, and the nice thing it about does, yeah, lightning could strike twice. That would be awesome. Yeah, seriously. I but mean, it, it's let's kind not of seemed, expect it. It seemed to happen uh, for Jose Iglesias. Let's see if it happens for another former Cincinnati Red shortstop who is right around the same age, yep. right around the same career numbers, even at the yep. time of his signing. Freddie Galvis gives you more power than Jose Iglesias, and he is really good defensively. He's one of the better, more consistent defensive shortstops in the majors. And speaking of more consistent, Freddie Galvis will play a lot of games. He played 147 in 2019 and played all 162 in both 2017 and 2018. Yeah. Jose Iglesias dealt with some injuries for the Orioles in 2020, didn't play that many games at shortstop. So Freddie Galvis, I know he's not going to be the number three hitter because Jose Iglesias shouldn't have been the number three hitter anyway. He was just overperforming. But Freddie Galvis will give you a solid bat, a solid defensive shortstop, and he's going to play a lot of games at shortstop if you want him to. Yeah, I think if he gives you, assuming this is a 162-game season, that's what it's on track to be, assuming Freddie Galvis gives you it uh, between 150 and 160 games and plus defense, at shortstop, I think that's all you can reasonably expect right. from Fred, Freddie Galvis. And you get him on a bargain. Yes. If, the, if that's what you're getting out of Freddie Galvis, a relatively consistent hitter and defender on a $1 million deal. Well, that's what I was thinking because last year we talked about how much Jose Iglesias made. Why was Freddie Galvis so much cheaper this year? How were the Orioles able to get a much significantly uh, cheaper deal for a player who is essentially in the very same mold as Jose Iglesias. Well, I think it probably has a lot to do with the fact that there aren't a lot of players getting signed to big deals. The shortstop yeah, market, just the market. The yeah. shortstop market was also really good yes. this season. There was Andrelton Simmons, D.D. Gregorius, Marcus Semien. It was a pretty deep shortstop market. Yeah. And Freddie Galvis, while it is it is a good deal for the Orioles at $1 million, I don't know if he would have gotten much more somewhere else. And this is also the golden age of shortstops in Major League Baseball, where it seems like almost every team has a really good shortstop. So I think Freddie Galvis probably wouldn't have been able to start somewhere. Yeah, and I think the as good as the market is for shortstops this year, I think it's going to be even better next year. Right. Carlos Correa hits the market. I believe Trevor Story is going to be a free agent. Yep. So the shortstop market is going to be huge next year. And when the Orioles got Jose Iglesias... You said it. The market was, it, it, you know, not to the level. Shortstop market was not to the level it was this offseason. Didi Gregorius was really the only other top free agent shortstop on the market. So maybe right. the Orioles had to overpay a little bit for Jose Iglesias. Ended up having to underpay really for him. Right. But they get a very similar player in Freddie Galvis for a cheaper deal, maybe because the demand is, or the supply is a little bit higher. Right. 
I don't know if he's going to be top of the lineup, but he will be solid. Yeah. Well, and and you look at the deal that that they had for Jose Iglesias last year. That you know, it, there were really only we were talking about Danny Hetcheverria being the only other guy. Like they they struck gold, obviously, on that signing. And I think you have to give Mike Elias a little bit of not benefit of the doubt here, but I think you know. You can trust him with this kind of deal here because he knows clearly knows how to evaluate him and and right. uh, knows what he's doing in terms of signing free agent shortstops. And there's also a chance that the Orioles could still look for a veteran infielder. I don't yeah. know if they will. I think the acquisition of Jemai Jones changes that a little bit. I don't know if they need to go look at another veteran infielder. We've talked about Jonathan VR. We've talked about the possibility of bringing back Hunter Alberto. I don't know if they will still do that. But I think Freddie Galvis fills a very big need that they had at shortstop. And you don't need to go sign some shortstop to a massive contract because you have two really good shortstop prospects that are a few years away in Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, uh, I could see if they do make an addition there. I think it's going to be on a minor league deal rather than a major league deal. I would agree. I don't see them guaranteeing And you also, anybody. you still want to see what you have in Richie Martin. Sure. You, you can't just give up on Richie Martin because he has dealt with injuries. I mean, Richie Martin still has a lot of potential, I think. This is a former, what, first-round pick? Richie Martin, was it first or second round? First round. First-round pick, Richie Martin. So he still has potential at shortstop. We've talked about him on the podcast before and how he maybe just got thrown into the fire a little bit too quickly at the major league level. I think he has still still has plenty of room to develop, and the Orioles want to see what they have in him. Another tough break for him, by the way, breaking his hammock bone. Yeah, bone. Which, by the way, they just remove the bone. Fun That's fact. crazy, isn't that crazy? They just take it out if you, you break just it. Don't need it. They don't need. They don't try to fix it. They just say, "Nah, you're good without it." I don't know how that happened, but uh, it's tough to break bones in both of your. That doesn't make sense. In, how, are, how are there bones that you just don't need? What's it? What's it doing? The appendix. I'll tell you. What What is it doing? It's not then? a bone, but that's you know, it's it's there. It is there. Like, I don't know. Look, as somebody who has broken both his wrists playing tennis, I, can I, feel I never heard about for that. Richie Martin. Yeah. Yes, um, it's a long and harrowing story. I feel for Richie Martin at this point. He is again suffering somewhat of a setback. He is expected to be ready by mid-March, and hopefully, he can uh, be on this big league roster at some point. I do expect him to start at the AAA level considering now the glut somewhat of, of infielders that they have at the big league level. Well, right, and that would make sense because you want him to continue to develop and you don't have the glaring need at shortstop like you did two years ago when he pretty much had to be your starting shortstop because you really didn't have any other options. Yeah. You needed Richie Martin to play there. Uh, by the way, Brandon Cherney saying Galvis has more pop than Iglesias, but he's ter- horrible at getting on base. No much, no worse at getting on base than Jose Iglesias was in right. his career. I think they had roughly the same on-base percentage in the season before they got signed by the Orioles. I think a very similar on-base percentage. In 2019, Freddie Galvis had an on-base percentage of 734. Nope, that's not correct. In, seven, in 2019, he did. 734 on-base percentage? OPS, I'm saying. Oh, okay, on-base percentage is... Uh, oh, on-base. OBP. OBP, we're yeah, talking about. Not OPS. Uh, let's see. Jose Iglesias had an on-base percentage of 318 in 2019 before he signed with okay. the Orioles. Uh, and in 2019, the last full season that Freddie Galvis had, he had an on-base percentage of 296. Yeah. Okay. Relatively the, the, comparable. Yeah. But then the next season, 2020. 2020, 308. There we go. 
There you go. 10 points off. Yeah. Not bad. Pretty comparable. Um, yeah, fairly, fairly comparable in terms of that. Um, all right. We have been talking for quite a while. That we have. We will see when the deal gets finalized and ultimately what the final terms of that deal uh, end up being for uh, Jemai Jones and the Alex Cobb swap. Is there anything else we should talk about? Oh, I saw some comments about Hanser Alberto. He's going to the Royals. Good for him on a minor league deal. Thought he would get a major league deal, if I'm being completely honest, but Hanser signing with the Royals on a minor league deal kind of ends the uh, idea that the Orioles might be able to bring him back this offseason. However, maybe they place him on waivers. The Orioles pick him up. They picked him up off waivers twice <laughs> yeah. in his career. So maybe maybe he comes back that way, but I think pretty much the door has been closed on a Hanser Alberto return. Right. Uh, Tim on YouTube asking, can we run through a potential starting rotation uh, we ran through it a little bit, but Paul, I will ask you right now, what is what do you think the starting five is going to be for the Orioles if you had to guess right now in 2021? On opening day? On, like uh, like to, to break camp? Yes. Um, the, the top five pitchers in the starting rotation. Yeah, I think Means, Means Kramer, Aiken. Yep. Um, Jorge Lopez, I think I'm just going to slot in there for now. I do think Bruce Zimmerman has a chance. And then I... I think it's going to be free agent X. I don't know who that's going to be. Yeah. I think there are a lot of guys who could fit that bill as a mid-level um, replacement and, and fifth starter, but I, I, it's difficult to predict kind of that fifth guy. Yeah, I would go slightly different. I'm going to go Means, Kramer, Aiken, which is the given top three at this point. I think the veteran free agent pitcher X is going to be the number four. I threw out some names, Jordan Zimmerman, Anibal Sanchez, Julio Tehran, Ivan Nova. Yeah. Maybe one of those four. And then I think the fifth is probably a toss-up between Thomas Eshelman or Jorge Lopez. I'm going to say Eshelman. Yeah, I think uh, Eshelman was solid last year. I'm glad the Orioles brought him back on a minor league deal for this year after they yep. let him go a few months ago. Uh, I think he ha- he will be in that mix. He will be in that mix. And and maybe somebody will emerge a la John Means a couple years ago in spring training where this guy's a career minor leaguer and all of a sudden he comes out pitching great, yep. earns a spot, in the starting rotation to break camp. So we'll see there. One thing I do want to talk about also real quickly, top 100 prospect list by MLB Pipeline was revealed. Yep. Orioles landing five guys. Woo. The Finally, the, the national nightmare, which is Ryan Malcastle not being named to Insane. the top 100 for MLB Pipeline is over. He was not in the top 100 last year. What a mistake. They corrected their mistake, made him 77 to be honest, I think he could be higher. I think that's a little too low for Ryan Mountcastle, but still good. Adley He's t- still in there. Adley also, Adley Rutschman is the number two prospect in all of baseball, which I know that does not guarantee anything, but I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. I think that is pretty yeah. cool. Um, he that It's just an incredible accomplishment um, yep. for the Orioles to get the number two prospect in baseball, and I believe they're... There are five prospects. I think there are only two other teams that have more prospects in their top 100. So when people, I saw some people saying there should be more guys in the top 100. Well, five is pretty darn good. Grayson Rodriguez comes in at number 27. Heston Kerstad, number 69. Um, D.L. Hall, number 70. Ryan Malcastle at number 77. Yeah, Grayson Rodriguez ahead of some really high draft picks, especially from this year. He's ahead of Max Meyer. He's ahead of Asa Lacey. He's ahead of Emerson Hancock who are the best pitchers in this 2020 draft. Yeah. So that really says something about Grayson Rodriguez. I would also be willing to bet that by the end of the year, we see Gunnar Henderson in the top 100. Could very well happen. That's at least what we're hearing from 
the national reporters that he yep. is the next kind of guy to fit into that category. I think we'll see him by the end of the year. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. We will be back next week. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Uh, be sure to follow us, rate, review, subscribe. Actually, do give us five stars and comment and, you know, review that kind of stuff we do uh, want to hear from you about. So please, uh, please do keep that going as well. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, any, any final thoughts before uh, another ice, ice sickle? There's the word. Comes down. <laughs> that was and, a and tough <laughs> word. Um, yeah, last, last uh, comment that I'll answer. Will we see Adley Rutschman in 2021? Yep. All right. Adley Rutschman. All right. Adley Thanks, Rutschman. everybody. We'll see you.